We have a lot of friends who are very fine writers. No, there's really only one. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, parenthood, publishing, marriage, sometimes reality TV, sometimes books we're reading. <laughs> stop, stop changing the, the scope of the show <laughs> to include reality that. TV. No, that is not happening. I'm Morgan Baden. That, of course, was Barry Liga, my husband and my co-host. Hey, Bear. Hello. So, tomorrow is Mother's Day. Tomorrow, As we're recording, yes, tomorrow is Mother's Day. Yes. By the time people hear this, they will have forgotten about their mothers already. Yes. So, um, it was funny. So, I was thinking, speaking of reality TV. uh, Wait, were we? (laughs) Stop stop sucking me into your reality TV (laughs) vortex. No, listen, it's really funny because since having the baby, as you know, I don't watch that much TV anymore. Yes. I think, I believe that you watch more TV than I do. There's a possibility. Yeah. There's what, I do have some exceptions, which is that I like, I like certain reality TV programs. I don't get to watch them as much as I used to. Um, but there's one that's out now in season two. It's called Southern Charm. And the reason I initially started watching it last year or a year and a half ago, whenever it debuted is because it takes place in Charleston and I love Charleston. Right. As do you. So. Oh. You enjoy Charleston. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, hey, we we, uh, we went there. Uh, that was part of our honeymoon. Uh-huh. Was Charleston, and and man, did I eat some some good barbecue. Oh my there. goodness! So we yeah, have really good food. Yeah. yeah, I think that's why everyone loves Charleston. But. Could be. Anyway, so so this is why I watch the show, right? Because it's set in Charleston. I like seeing the places that I know and like and enjoy and and whatnot. And plus, you know, it's Bravo, so there's nice some 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 nice drama going on in there. So this is all a long way of saying. Now that I'm a mom, I don't get to watch it that often, but I'm particularly intrigued in this season of it because one of the characters from last year who was portrayed as the villain suddenly had a baby unexpectedly. Wait, suddenly? Suddenly. Like she it didn't take up. nine months? Uh-huh. She just had a baby? Yeah. Smart ass. So, wow. So it's really interesting to me watching how they're sort of depicting her from the villain that she used to be, like the villain underdog kind of to a mom now and she's now like the misunderstood mom who has uh, a partner who's maybe not so attentive to her Hmm. um you know they moved out like two hours away from charleston so she's feeling very isolated so i I watched one scene where she's home and and it's sort of it showed her doing typical things they show you know a shot of the baby asleep in the crib then a shot of her feeding the baby and then a shot of her folding laundry and on the phone and sort of walking around their big beautiful house uh alone basically so Mm. she's because he her partner is running for office and he's very busy and i've already lost track of this but go ahead so she's she's home alone a lot. It looks like, and there was well, but there's scene. a film crew there, so well, she's not alone. That's true. Okay, right? that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Wait, there are film crews for reality TV? Maybe I don't understand how this works. <laughs> no, but anyway, so there was this one scene where he calls her and she says hi, like I guess ready to talk about her day, whatever, and he doesn't even say hi back, and instead just says, "I'm not coming home tonight uh, because I have to get up early, and the baby screams all night, so I'll see you later." <laughs> And, like, hangs up the phone. Wait, 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 wait. You can do that? <laughs> I had no idea. No, but here's the thing. She hangs up the phone and bursts into tears. And I just suddenly was like, oh, my goodness, that poor woman. I want I want to go help her. I want to go support her. I feel her pain. Obviously, 
I am not that Wait, woman. you and feel you her pain? This is what I'm saying, though. It's like, as a mom, is there, like, a society of moms where do people suddenly feel a different sort of sympathy for other moms once they become a mom themselves? And I don't know if I... I, I guess I sort of do. But I wanted to see if you felt any kind of new kinship with other men who are dads. Well, I think as we've established on previous episodes of this podcast, and indeed on the very last episode of this podcast, I am not a fan of the people. (laughs) So it's very difficult for me to feel some sort of empathy or sympathy or simpatico with with other people. I'm making scare quotes around the word (laughs) as I say this. Um, You know, I... I don't know. I mean, I I sort of, I still feel like it's weird that I'm a dad. Okay. I mean, I still, I, I just had to write my bio for The Secret Sea, my book that comes out in the spring. I'll tell you when you can pre-order it. <laughs> but I had to write the bio, and I so I wrote the bio, and of course there's always the part of the bio that says, you know, he lives in Saskatchewan with a rabid raccoon and 12 ducks. And I want to read that book. Yeah, I know. So do I. Damn it. My bio is never terribly exciting, but I wrote my bio and I wrote, you know, he lives in Brooklyn with his wife and daughter. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I live in Brooklyn with my wife and daughter. And it was the first time I'd written that. Yeah. You know, in fact, I'm not sure I updated it on my website oh, yet. Funny. It's been six and a half months. I'm not sure if I updated my website. I just like three days ago updated my Twitter bio to right. say something about being a mom. Yeah. I, I think my Twitter bio still says I live in Las Vegas, <laughs> but You know, so it's one of those things where thinking of myself as a father is still sort of new to me. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's not that I'm shocked, but it's that almost every day I I sort of look around and go, oh, my God, yeah, this is is what I am now. It's a little different. It feels a little different for me because, to me, I think it will really come home to me when she sort of knows I'm her father, when she refers to me as her father. Because then suddenly it's... There's somebody who calls you daddy. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that that's mind-blowing, the okay. thought of that. Right now, I mean, honestly, I could be the mailman, and as long as I'm changing her diaper and giving her formula, she's A-OK. That's a very attentive mailman. He's a great mailman. He's a nice guy. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know that I feel sort of a kinship with other dads. I mean... But you have to. But I'm the sort of person who's never felt a kinship with okay. with anybody. Yeah, <laughs> Much of yeah. I mean, you know, there there is not a tribe to which I feel I belong, which okay. is a pretty bad thing for a Jew to say. But <laughs> you know, I, I've never I've never been a joiner. I've yeah. never been somebody who joins groups or causes mm-hmm. or anything like that. I've always been a very solitary person. So that's a, a difficult question for me to answer. Okay. You know, I do hang out with some dads. Mm-hmm. As we said last week, I, I hang out with some dads a couple times a week in the park and that's nice and it's pleasant and I enjoy it, but I don't know that I feel a strong bond just because we all happen to be dads. Uh-huh. And I don't know that bond is, bond implies strength, I guess. I guess I'm just thinking that now that, um, when you think about the actual, even just the physical process of birth, when I see other pregnant women on the street, I think, Oh, goodness, I, I know that feeling. Right. I know they're exhausted or sure. whatever. Um, and when I see a mom with a new baby, uh, I feel like we give each other a sort of knowing nod. It's like the nod from Black. It is. Yes, it is the nod you, from You Black-ish. acknowledge the struggle. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Yes. Yeah. 
there's just a, a part of me now that acknowledges the struggle. Well, it's fun. I mean, I notice when I'm walking around the streets with Leia, just randomly wandering the streets like a vagabond, <laughs> as I do, and I see other parents, usually women, usually moms, they usually give a little smile right. when they see me. Yeah. And I try to give a little smile back without coming across as creepy. Yeah. And, which is difficult. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely sort of a, an acknowledgement of, oh, yeah, we both do this. Yeah. But I, I guess to me there's a difference between understanding and empathy. Uh-huh. You know, uh, you, know you, you talked about seeing a mother on this show treated poorly yeah. and you felt sorry for her. Mm-hmm. And to it me... It just hit me I differently feel, yeah. than it would have before, I, I guess. I mean, I, I guess, like, if if I saw on TV a dad do something... Now I might go, oh, I see why he did that. But I don't know that I would feel anything. Okay. You know? Okay. But I'm made of stone. So You are. Yeah. You are a statue. I am. Ice cold heart. Ice cold. So, okay. Anyway, so happy Mother's Day. Happy week. Mother's Day. Hi, Mom. <laughs> By the time you hear this, Mother's Day will have passed. Yeah, and hopefully you liked your gift. <laughs> okay, so moving on. Moving on. Uh, let's talk a bit about writing right now. Oh, okay. Oh, the big sigh. So, oddly enough, I actually had a couple of minutes today where I was reading Jezebel, which I have not done in a while. As I said, I don't know how you know how to think. When I don't when read Jezebel. Don't read Jezebel. Jezebel. I know. Yeah. So, I'm catching up on some articles, and there was a post from today about um, some guy who is super productive. And so, basically, the post was uh, chronicling his days and um, and sort of analyzing whether... He's crazy because he's a hyper productive fella. Uh, and it was not like he gets like four hours of sleep, something insane. And, um, you know, spends three hours each morning in the gym and then three hours with his family and has like two huge chunks of work time and whatever. So it turned into this conversation, as it always does in the comments, about the importance of downtime versus the importance of having a productive day or a productive week. Sure. Um, so I just started thinking about how important is each. And what is the balance that makes sense for a writer or an aspiring writer who works a day job? So, um, you know, would we, uh, obviously having experiences feeds into your writing and having downtime where your brain can sort of marinate like in the back part without you actively thinking about it is super important. Um, but I mean, what's the line between, Saying to yourself, "I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take some downtime for the- downtime for the next month, uh, or day, or week, or whatever," versus no, I'm just gonna power through and finish this. Right. And like, how do you decide when you need downtime? What's the process there? Do you Barry ever say to yourself, "Man, I I can't figure this out. I need a break," or do you say, "I can't figure this out, but I'm so close, so I'm just gonna keep going." Wow. Whiteboard. Whiteboard. <laughs> you know, I think. You know, for me, downtime has always been really important, and I've always luxuriated in downtime. I think I've spoken before on the podcast about how every year, right around Thanksgiving, I would always just happen to wrap something up. I don't know why. It wasn't planned, but I would just happen to finish around Thanksgiving. And I would say, great, I've worked really hard. I am going to just take off through the holidays, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'll start working again January 1st, January 2nd, whichever, you know, whichever day. And 
I would take those five, maybe six weeks, whatever it happens to be, and I would read and I would watch movies and I would play video games and do all that stuff. And January 1st or 2nd would roll around and I would just keep going. <laughs> I would just, and you know, it would be like, you know, Martin Luther King Day before I would get back to work <laughs> or it would be President's Day before I would get back to work because it's inertia. Yeah. And we talked, we talked a couple of episodes about routines and the importance of routines and how when you break a routine, you can sometimes just founder because there's nothing, there's nothing to boo you up. And that is sort of a problem that I would have is I would, I would break my routine in order to relax and have downtime and downtime would become my routine. Uh, And then it would just be, it would be a bitch to get back to work. It would be really, really difficult. Now, you know, I sort of have to look for five minutes here, five minutes there. You know, I've started, I've started, you know, listening to podcasts, which is one way I sort of relax, um, while I am squiring Leia about town in the stroller. And at first, when I would first be pushing her around town in the stroller, I would not listen to anything because I was paranoid that, you know, somebody was going to be screaming at me, look out, there's a UFO about to shoot you. (laughs) And I wouldn't hear because I'd be listening to a podcast and I would be vaporized and she would be vaporized and that would be really a stupid way to go. But now... Whereas if you heard the person yelling that, you could fight... The aliens. Well, I mean, I could at least duck. Okay. Right. You know? So now, though, I go to the park, and I push her around for a while, and I put in my earbuds, and I yeah. listen. And the worst thing that happened is a douchebag on a bike yelled at me once. You know? So that's fine. But downtime's tough, and I think downtime is enormously important for creative people. Like yeah. you said, you know, it allows you to sort of marinate in the ideas. It lets your back brain do a lot of working. Mm-hmm. And I don't think great work comes out of stress. I think... You can put pressure on yourself to deliver great work, and I think that's important. But I think that I think if you're stressed because you're driven, that's one thing. I think if you're stressed because you genuinely don't have a moment to breathe, yeah. that's not good. Yeah. That's not good at all. So downtime is really important, and it's something I'm still sort of on a quest to figure out how to cram downtime into my day. Yeah on a regular basis. And I know the same is for you. I mean, Mm -hmm. you get up, you take care of her in the morning, you go to work, you come home, you put her to bed and then, you know, well, and that's the danger is that lately I've been like, okay, once she goes to bed and we eat dinner and we finish up whatever chores need to be done, I find myself thinking, okay, downtime, relax. And then before I know it, it's, you know, 11 PM and I need to go to bed and I haven't written. Right. And because you were tough. busy watching Southern Charm. Basically. Yeah. And, you know, musing on the kinship of motherhood. Right. So that's huh. going to be my new band name. Musing on the kinship, musing on the of, kinship motherhood. of motherhood. That's a great <laughs> band name. But it would be awesome if it was just all guys. Oh, yes, it would. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if the answer to that is you take a smaller chunk of downtime. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I love like two, three hours of downtime followed by several hours of work. That's not practicable with our current schedules. Yeah. So is it, is the solution you take 20 minutes of downtime and then work for an hour right. every night? Or is the solution that you say, okay, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday will our be downtime. downtime and Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday will be work time. I like that. I, I don't know the answer yeah. to that yet. I haven't figured that out yet. Well, and there's also a part of me that's worried that if you schedule downtime, is it really downtime? Are you well, like I mean, yeah, when you need a planned break, spontaneity. Yeah, yeah. Like when you need a break to let things marinate or just to step away for a minute and do right. something else. Like, 
right? Is it even effective if you had to schedule it? So, yeah, I remember a few weeks ago, there was a night where, you know, I've been writing every night Mm -hmm. because that's when I can really focus and get a lot of work done. And I remember there was one night where we finished eating dinner and normally that would mean I would come back into the office and, and write. And I just sat there on the sofa and I said, I really just, I have to write, but I just can't, I just don't, I can't do it tonight. And you said, take the night off. Yeah. And that was a really difficult thing for me to do because in the days when I was writing 3000 words a day, 3,500 words a day, if I took a day off, I could get caught up relatively quickly Mm -hmm. and easily add in a couple extra word, a couple hundred extra words a day and you're caught up in a week. Yeah. Now that I'm writing 500 words a day, if I take a day off, it's very difficult to catch up. And so that was a tough thing to do, but I did take that night off. I, my brain just wasn't working yeah. and I needed, I needed to take that time need to honor that. Yeah. 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 And I've, I've gotten caught up. I've had some really incredibly ridiculously productive days recently. Yeah, you have. So that's good. It's very inspiring. Well, I don't know if it's inspiring, but it is what it is. Because I've been sort of revising this week, but also when I do sit down to write, I was working on something else again. Speaking of which. I do want to encourage people to read Morgan's post on Medium, which went up right before Mother's Day. And it's about, it's sort of about Mother's Day. I mean, it's inspired by yeah. Mother's Day, but you don't have to read it for Mother's Day. <laughs> and, you know, as you all read this, it will be roughly 362 days until Mother's Day. But you should read it now anyway, because it's a really great piece. Thanks, son. So. Thanks. But I don't know if that's just me being lazy and like, is that my brain rebelling against the fact that I have work to do? Right. You know? We talked so, about that last yeah, week yeah, too, yeah. about how you decide what to work on, when, when to take a break from your main project to work on a side project, Yeah, yeah. you know, which is difficult because there are little side projects I have. They're not writing projects, but they're little programming things that I like to do. Little app type things that I like to write right. that are not mission critical, but they make my life a little easier. Yeah. But it's time that is taken away from writing, no question. Yeah. But to me, it's all about getting that sense of accomplishment and sense of satisfaction because it's difficult to get that from a chunk of writing. Like if you write a really good scene and you feel really good about it, that's one thing. But if you're just sort of slogging away at a first draft and making progress, but there's no end in sight, it's difficult to get up from that writing session and think, damn, I nailed it today. Yeah. Whereas if you do something else, you finish a uh-huh. blog and you put it up on Medium or you put it up on your website or you write a little app that makes your life easier or, or something like that you or you update your it. website, you can think, oh, I finished that yep. today. I yeah. accomplished that today. As opposed to I made a little more progress on this big thing. Right. Yeah. That's, that's very true. And that's important. So going back to the topic at hand, maybe it depends on how you define downtime, but I tend to think of downtime as hanging out in front of the TV or taking a nap or taking a walk or whatever versus going out and experiencing something. So, you know, skydiving or (laughs) doing something new and crazy, whatever. But I I think there's a conversation to be had about the importance of experiences for Mm -hmm. writers and having them and constantly exposing yourself to new things and to new challenges. Um, And I think the question is, would we become better writers if we experienced more? What are your thoughts on that? It seems almost axiomatic that the more experiences you have, the better a writer you'll be because the more you have to draw on. Mm -hmm. But then I wonder, 
if is there is there a line that you cross where suddenly all these experiences you have just give you more crap to filter <laughs> in order to get to the thing you want to write <laughs> you know if if i had twice as many experiences in my life as currently would that give me twice as much to draw on or would it just mean i have two times as much stuff to go through to figure out what really matters like too much noise yeah yeah, yeah. and huh. and and i think you don't know and you can't know in advance, if you did, then you would just pick experiences that you know will make you a better writer. Yeah. But I, I mean, that's something I would probably do, but I think that's probably not the best way to live a good life. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm more interested in being a good writer than living a good life. So wow. <laughs> I would probably do that. But I think that the, the process of turning your experiences into writing you know, it, it is. It's, it's does that jam the mechanism or does it just give the mechanism more to work on? Right. You know, is it just more grist for the mill or is it going to make the mill stop running because there's too much of it? And I don't I don't know. I don't know I what the answer feel to like that it's is. Kind of, maybe it depends on the kind of writing you're doing. Yeah. If you're a memoirist or a freelance writer or a journalist or whatever, um, those experiences, I think, are really important and exposing yourself to a, a broad variety of experiences. There's a part of me that wonders if you're an exclusively fiction writer, is imagination more important than experience? And if you experience something that maybe didn't live up to your expectations or to what you imagined it to be, is that a detriment to your writing? So I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like if you're writing a book about um, flying a kite and you've never flown a kite, so you've got this great imagination about what it's like. And then one day you go do it and maybe it's not that exciting. (laughs) Um, And then there goes your whole book. So I don't don't know. I'm really of two minds about this because on the one hand, I keep going back to the words of Flannery O'Connor who said, and I'm probably going to mangle this quote, but the sense of it is there. She said, anybody who has lived and survived grammar school has enough material to write about for the rest of their lives. And and who am I to say Flannery O'Connor is wrong? I'm not going to say that. So on the one hand, there's that like, Hey, we, you know what? If you're if you made it to age ten and survived, yeah, you've got enough you got to write it. about. On the other hand, I think of I think of my first book, which is this kid who loves comic books and is trying to create a comic book. Uh-huh. If I didn't love comic books and spend part of my life trying to create a comic book, what the hell would I have written about for that book? Right? Would there have been something else? Would it have been a book about a kid who loves music and is trying to record right, yeah. an album? I, I, I don't know. I have a book that I'm working on right now, which we shall call Morgan's book, which, strangely enough, uh, baking a pizza plays a role in this it book. It does. Which, if I had never decided to bake homemade pizza, I obviously never would have put that into this book. Uh-huh. What the hell would have been in there? I don't know. Cookies, would I have, you know, what, yeah, would like, I what have, would it be? And, and would the book be different? Or would it be mm-hmm. better or would it be worse? And so I don't know. And, and I struggle with this because I really am sort of done with experiences. I just want to sort of stay home and write books and take care of my kid <laughs> and avoid the people. And, and yet the world keeps forcing me to have experiences. And I do wonder, you know, especially when I hear, you know, when I talk to writers who are like, well, you know, last week I was skiing down Mount Kilimanjaro and, uh, you know, ran into a Yeti and this happened and that happened. And I'm like, God, you're going to write about that. Oh no, it's too boring. I'll write about something exciting (laughs) that happened to me, old boy. And, and so, you know, I, I sort of get this inferiority complex of, wow, I haven't experienced anything, you know? Um, you know, I, I drove out to Area 51 when I lived in Las Vegas and, uh-huh. you know, but didn't dare cross the line into the base because um, <laughs> there were security guys like right there. But Well, and also those UFOs are after you. Well, yeah. And if I had my earbuds in, they'd get me. Yeah. 
So I, I do sort of wonder, like, should I be aggressively courting huh. experiences? Does that then make it artificial? Right. And is that going to come across right. in the writing? Okay, we want to hear from writers about this. Yeah, I want to hear from writers about this. Should writers aggressively court experiences? Because it's interesting yes, because we'll maybe we, we, ha- we, we have a friend who is a very fine writer. I'm not going to use any names here. We have a lot of friends who are very fine writers. No, nah, there's really only one. The rest, oh. rest kind of suck. But this particular friend has lived a sort of amazing life, has met a lot of very interesting people and had very strange experiences with them. And these are not just interesting people. They are interesting, famous people. Well, and also he's the kind of person who doesn't tell you about them. Right. Just casually one day is like, oh, this time I was caddying for the Pope. Right. And you're like, what? I've told you about that. No, you haven't. Oh, well, you know, and then his holiness did this and that and the other thing. And you're sort of like, what? And this person is an excellent writer, but has never used any no, of this stuff true. In, in his writing. And and so I kind of wonder, maybe the experiences don't matter all that much. Yeah. I don't know. Huh. Well, food for thought. Food for thought. So, Barry, you asked me a very interesting question yesterday. I think it was yesterday. <laughs> it might have been today. The days all merge they together. They really do. The weeks fly by, yes. especially now that I'm at work full time. I could have sworn that this week <laughs> it was your third week back at work, and it has actually been a month since you've been yeah. back at yeah. work. So anyway, so out of the blue, you turned to me and said, do you think I need a hobby? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we ended up having a, a brief discussion about um, potential hobbies you could have. Yes. But then I started thinking... Because I have so much free time on my hands that I need to fill it. But then I started thinking, you're a writer by trade. Yes. That's how you earn your keep. Such as it is. And so writing is obviously not a hobby for you. Yes. Because it's your job. Right. For me, at this point, writing is still a hobby. Sure. No one's holding my feet to the fire. I enjoy doing it. Right. (laughs) Ha ha. When I do it. So, you know, I go to work, I do my other things, and as a hobby... One of them, I write. Right. So, yeah, it's really interesting. But if you weren't a writer full-time, would writing still be your hobby? And then would you have turned to me and said, should I get a hobby? Should I get a job? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I've just been wondering, like, what is, I I don't know, when does writing become not a hobby? And is it when you get a paycheck from writing or is it something else? I feel feel like, I mean, certainly the IRS definition of when something crosses from hobby to not hobby is when you get paid for it. Yeah, yeah. And that's certainly how I feel. But let's say... I mean, there, and there are people who will give you these sort of, you know, artsy-fartsy, sort of holistic, organic, whole grain descriptions of writing's not my hobby. It's, it's, my, it's my passion and my calling. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, screw you. You know, if you're doing it because you enjoy it and not getting paid for it, it's your hobby. But here's a question, though. What if tomorrow I quit my job and said I'm going to work on my writing? For right. the next three months right. and see what happens and yeah. dedicate myself fully to that. I'm not earning money from it, right. but I'm actively trying to. Right. Is it still a hobby? Yeah. It's still a hobby that you're tr- aggressively trying to turn into a not hobby. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, hobby has certain connotations, but there's nothing. I, I, I think people hear the word hobby and they think frivolous. They think sort of whimsical. They think. Or do they think. Unimportant. Time? And they think downtime, yeah. maybe. They think all those things. I don't think those things have to be true. I think they can be. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they are necessary requirements of a hobby or necessary 
consequences of a hobby. I think it is entirely possible to take a hobby you take damn seriously. I mean, look at the people who, you know, look at the, like, uh, Civil War reenactors. Yeah. That's a hobby. Yeah, that's true. Don't tell them that's frivolous. Don't tell them that's unimportant and not serious because they'll shoot you with a bayonet from 1864. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, no, if you quit your job, there would be much weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and rending of garments at Scholastic, (laughs) but it would still be your hobby until you made a living at it. Okay. So circling back, you need a hobby. I, I didn't say I needed one. I said, should I get a, should I have a hobby? And I got to give some background here. I, you know, I, I, there are the, again, there are these things I do in my downtime. I do a lot of, uh, a lot of little pro little programming. If there was a real programmer listening to the show, they would laugh at what I call programming, but just things writing little scripts and programs mm-hmm. on my iPad, on my computer, things that make my life easier. Right. Okay. And I enjoy doing that. It, it uses a different part of my brain than the writing part. And I enjoy it. And I have been thinking for a little while about sort of turning that into a website where I would sort of advise liberal arts people and walk them through the process of how they can make their lives a little easier by actually understanding the technology around them. Uh Because there are so many writers and artists that I know whose lives would be so much easier if they knew just a little bit more about the gadgets that they use. Right. And they don't. They don't have my obsessive personality, which leads me to learn everything I possibly can about these things. And I thought, oh, I could put up a little website and turn this these things that I do, and mm-hmm. it could be a little hobby of mine to do this. So that's where that came from. Yeah, yeah. You do like to cook. I used. To, I would consider cooking to be one of your hobbies when we had time. When we had time. I mean, now it's. I you know, cooking is a strange thing to describe as a hobby because let's face it, it's a necessity of life. Like yeah, to yeah. eat. Yeah. Now, obviously, we live in New York. We could go a year without cooking a meal because we could just order out yeah. constantly and probably never eat from the same place right, twice. Yeah. But. You know, I, I, I always worry a little bit about people who get a little too precious about food. Oh, me You know, too. foodies. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it, it's, it gets to the point where I'm sort of like, okay, and are you also going to be precious about the air you breathe? I right. mean, this is a requirement of life. Right, yeah. But yeah, I enjoy cooking. I like experimenting. I, I like cooking. And, and I think when every day I had a chance to try something new, that felt sort of like my hobby. Mm-hmm. Now it's just... Okay, the baby's asleep. What the hell can I throw together that yeah, we can eat yeah. that won't kill us? Yeah. You know? What, what's in the fridge that has not spoiled that I can cook? Uh-huh. And you are a wonderful help because you do a great job finding interesting crockpot recipes. <laughs> Those of you out there who are not parents may not understand this. The crockpot is a lifesaver when you're a parent. Even so, when you're not. Oh, sure. Even I mean, when you're it's not. So but it's great. less a requirement. Of course. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So, yeah, cooking could be a hobby of mine, yeah. but... Anyway, leave us comments about what hobbies Barry should take up. Oh no! <laughs> and then you could turn um, you could turn those comments into some sort of experiment where you try each of them for a week, oh. and then write about that. Oh. And then there's a whole new website, and your sort of your sort of quest for a hobby becomes in itself the hobby. Oh my god! Give Barry a hobby. right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, I see it yeah. happening now. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so let's do a quick writing update on our personal projects. How are things going there? Things are going really well. Again, today is the day before Mother's Day, and we're going to call this uh, uh, Father's Day, early Father's Day, because Morgan, you you hung out with the baby pretty much all day today, Mm -hmm. and I wrote... A ton. I wrote 3,000 words today. Are you serious? Which, again, like... Back in the olden days was nothing. Like oh that was an that was an average day for me back in the day. Today it 
it felt like I had been wearing cement shoes for a while and I took them off and ran today. Wow. And I just blasted through a lot. And I'm and I, so excited for I, it. I feel, I feel like, I, I feel like if I had like three more days like this, I'd be done with the book. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an, and, and that's an amazing feeling. It's also a frustrating feeling because I know I, I cannot and will not right. have three more yeah. days like this. Yeah. So it's still going to take me a few, a, a few more weeks to get yeah. through it. But wow. Like just jumped jumped ahead really, really far. Amazing. And, and that's a really good feeling. Good. Uh, in addition to that, I finished the copy edits on The Secret Sea. Nice. Which was a wonderful feeling. They were not terrible. I, I felt stupid, but not as stupid as I usually do with copy edits. And I also wrote, you know, some ancillary stuff that goes, you know, people don't realize, you know, like I said, I had to write my bio and uh, some things like that. And, and just little, little ancillary side things that the publisher needs when they're going into production on a book. So that stuff's all done. So that's pretty much finished at this point. That's a really good feeling. And, uh, and that's it. I'm, right. I'm in, I'm in really good shape writing wise right now. Yeah. It feels good. How about you? Um, I did not have a great week revision wise. I definitely did not get done as much as I thought that I would or could. And part of that was just because work has been really, really busy. And so I'm, I'm running around like a maniac during the day and, um, I come home and I'm like, I need some downtime. Yeah. So this was sort of my week of downtime minus the blog post I wrote for medium. Um, and which by the way, we will put a link to that in the show notes so that everybody can read it Mm because it really is wonderful. Thanks honey. And I did do, um, at least one night of, of revisions. So maybe about an hour. So you've moved along. Yeah. So I'm moving along a bit, but I am refocusing myself for the week ahead. Here's a question I haven't asked you in a while. How far along do you feel like you are on the revision? And I don't ask that to depress you. I'm, I'm just genuinely no, curious. No, no. Um, and maybe you don't have a sense, I which am, is fine. No, well, I know what page number I'm on, but I'm just trying to remember how many pages are actually in, in the book. <laughs> um, I'm, da- I'm about a quarter of the way through. Okay. But the truth is that most of the revision is happening here at the beginning. That's what I... Which is why it's taking so long. That's what I remember from, yeah. from reading it, yeah. So, um... So, you know, I, I feel like I'm sort of at close to 50% of the work, right? which is a, which is nice. That's great. Yeah. That's that great. feels really good. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, so that's where I am. Cool. All right. How about a quick recommended reading or what are you reading now? Yeah. I'm still reading the same stuff I was reading last week, which is manuscripts that I, I can't talk about. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I'm happy to recommend something to people. So I'm going to recommend, uh, something that's not terribly old, but it's a few years old. It's, uh, The Leftovers by Tom Parada, which has been turned into a really stunningly amazing show on HBO. That's a, that was probably my favorite show from last I, year. we, we need to do an entire podcast about that show We're at shocked. some point yeah. because it's amazing. Seriously, it was a phenomenal show. The second season, I think, starts in the fall, I think. I think. So. Tom had something on his Facebook page the other day about a new cast member coming on. Oh, okay. And the show is is fairly different from the book, but but similar enough. And and the book itself is really good. And just to let you know what it's about, it is it's not about the rapture. It's just about one day ten percent of the planet vanishes. And just poof, gone. And it's not, you know, all the good people or all the bad people. It's just random people, pretty much. And so nobody really knows what to make of this from, like, a religious or philosophical perspective. And it sort of throws the world into this strange this strange place. And uh, the book is set in this small town. 
the main character is uh, the mayor of the town and uh and and he's dealing with sort of the the emotional chaos of what happened it happened you know a year prior and it's a year later and people obviously are still <laughs> dis- discomposed by this uh and 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 it's just really great. It's a fabulous book, and it turned into a wonderful TV show. And uh, you should go read it. I mean, it's such a compelling premise, obviously. Sure. So it's no wonder that the book is wonderful. But the, I mean, the show is super. But it, it, too. I feel like it's one of those things where it's a premise that it, it it's easy to turn that into sort of a fantasy novel yeah. or a science fiction novel or a or some thriller kind of novel like, or a conspiracy yeah, novel. Yeah. And this no, this it's is not just it. It's just what if 10% of the planet disappeared? What would life be like after that? It's Go. a drama. It, yeah. It's a human drama mm-hmm. about that. It's not about what happened to those people. We're never going to find it, out. It, I'm, it I'm doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Uh-huh. It's just about the people. What, what yeah. would, what would the people who are left behind? <laughs> sorry, don't mean to <laughs> use left behind there. Don't read left behind. What would, what would the people who, who are still here do after that mm-hmm. what would it be like it's just and how it's do you go on taking yeah. that in and i love that kind of that kind of story like i i you know i've seen a million alien invasion movies in my life mm-hmm. i would love to see a movie that takes place after we've repelled the invasion right. yeah you know what happens afterwards yeah. i love what happens afterwards stories and there aren't enough of them read the leftovers well i think it's interesting you say that because that's kind of what after the red rain is you know, I never really thought about there that. Yeah, after the red rain is sort of it's yeah. about what happens after after the apocalypse. The apocalypse. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's like funny. long, like hundreds of years yeah, after, yeah. after the apocalypse. That's yeah, really huh? That's true. That's true. So I am reading a really um, very enjoyable book right now called "The Haunting of Sunshine Girl." Okay, and uh, it's based on a YouTube series of the same name, I believe. Ah. Um, which is cool. You know, it, it started off as a YouTube series and took off. And of course the publishing world had to get in on the action. So, um, anyway, so I, I just started it a couple of days ago. It's super enjoyable. Uh, it's co-written by Alyssa Scheinmull, who is an established YA author. I've right. actually never read any of her work before, so I'm really enjoying it. Cool. Uh, I love a good ghost story. And, uh, I think this is, it's just sort of cleverly done so far. And, um, I think after I finish the book, I'm going to go check out the YouTube series. So, Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, I think that's it for us now. I think so. Awesome. Have a great week, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit us online at writinginreallife.com. And, of course, don't forget to subscribe to us in iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at WIRL Podcast And rate us when you're stopping by iTunes to subscribe to us. We really, we really like those stars. So have a great, great week, everyone. Thanks, everyone.